Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. The following is a paid advertisement from Go Gray. Hi, I'm Natalie from the FASD Hope podcast. Purple is my favorite color for many reasons. The newest reason I love purple is the Maintain Purple Toning Duo Shampoo and Conditioner from Go Gray. Since I've started using the Purple Toning Shampoo and Conditioner by Go Gray, I've seen more shades of gray, vibrance, and brightness in my gray hair. The Purple Toning Duo Shampoo and Conditioner gives silver and gray hair a quick brightening boost with a toning duo infused with hair enhancing vibrant violet pigments to help tone down unwanted yellowing brought on by heat styling and sun exposure. So let your gray hair shine. Purple and gray, what a winning combination. You can find Go Gray products exclusively at Walmart and walmart.com. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'll be speaking with Larry Bird. Dr. Larry Bird received his PhD from the University of Manitoba Health Science Center in Winnipeg, Manitoba in community health sciences. Dr. Bird currently is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and director of the North Dakota Fetal Alcohol Syndrome Center and FAS Clinic. Dr. Bird has been with the pediatric program for 40 years, where he has evaluated over 18,000 children with birth defects, developmental disorders, and mental illness. Dr. Bird has conducted research in 41 countries around the world. He has ongoing longitudinal studies of linked cohorts of subjects with Tourette syndrome, autism, fetal alcohol syndrome, and infant mortality risk that are in their 28th consecutive year of data collection. He published over 220 professional papers on topics dealing with development and behavior in children and adolescents. He's had clinics for children with developmental disabilities and mental health disorders on tribal nations for over 30 years. Welcome everyone to this episode of FASD Hope. I had the honor of listening to today's guest at the Arkansas None for Nine online conference back in November of 2021. Today's guest has extensive experience in FASD and working uh, with children. He uh, is a clinician, he's a researcher, and he just comes with such a wealth of knowledge that I'm very, very happy that he's here on FASD Hope today to speak about his journey and also to speak about part of the presentation that that he shared, which I thought was just so amazing. So today I am so thrilled to be welcoming Dr. Larry Bird to FASD Hope. Larry, thank you for joining me. Thank you. What a pleasure. So, Larry, uh, again, it's an honor to have you on FASD Hope. For those listeners 
who are not aware of your incredible work and your legacy in the FASD field, can you share your journey with us and how you became involved in working with the FASD and brain-based diagnosis populations? I was uh, working at the St. LeBray Indian School, and I saw quite a large number of children there who had identical uh, facial features. Uh, They tended to be small, uh, slender children with quite a few learning and behavior problems. We spent a long time trying to figure out what the problem was. And one day by accident, I was walking uh, down the hall of a Holiday Inn and saw a a PowerPoint slide, or a slide, I guess, uh, a slide uh, showing a picture of a child that looked exactly uh, like the kids we were concerned about. So I stopped, uh, went in, and Dr. David Smith, who was one of the co-discoverers of FAS with uh, Dr. Ken Jones, uh, was giving a talk to a very small group of physicians trying to convince them about the dangers of drinking during pregnancy, uh, that this can produce a whole range of problems that are lifelong. And uh, they were really struggling to accept this idea. Uh, That was not the case for me as soon as I saw this. I knew uh, what the problem was and have spent most of the rest of my professional life working on this. And I'm so thankful that you did and you stopped and and you connected with Dr. Smith. We had Dr. Ken Jones on our season two opener a couple of months ago on our first episode of season two. And he shared about how that disbelief and that just not acceptance of FAS back in in the 70s and and throughout his career. He just shared that when he was talking about his journey. And and again, I'm just so thankful for you and for him and for everyone who stuck with it when everyone else said no. In your career, Larry, you've accomplished so much, especially in working with, with children and adolescents. Let's talk about your work in the past few years and and what you've done in the FASD field. Surely. Well, the focus of much of my work has been developing population-based studies so we can improve our estimate of the prevalence of this to understand what this looks like across uh, large numbers of uh, children and As I was doing that, it became clear that these problems that first appear uh, in the newborn uh, that become increasingly severe uh, through uh, childhood adolescence uh, are also present uh, throughout life. So the oldest person we have seen was a woman who was 81, who essentially diagnosed herself after seeing Uh, one of my talks uh, on uh, YouTube. And her story was uh, actually looking backwards in time, which was very interesting. She uh, talked about how tragic this had been for her family. Uh, Large uh, uh, portion of her family had been affected by this. She had lost uh, her parents, uh, siblings, And uh, she was particularly saddened by the number of infants and young children who had died uh, 
from the consequences of uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So more recently, uh, we have sites around the world uh, and have come to discover really that uh, FASD is a problem which is very rarely diagnosed. Uh, I think it's reasonable to say that far less than 1% of people with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder have been diagnosed. Uh, in countries other than the United States and Canada, it's an extraordinarily small number of uh, people. We have a site in the Congo and substantial numbers of children there are affected, but they have no uh, diagnostic capacity in the entire country uh, to do this. I've spent a good deal of time in Tasmania, uh, Brazil, uh, been to uh, England, and everywhere you go, uh, there's inadequate capacity to diagnose children with FASD or adults for that matter with FASD. Wow. I am just amazed by how your work has taken you all over the world. And again, I'm thankful as a parent, I'm, I'm so thankful for your, your tireless work and your campaigning for those that have FASD. Before I ask you about your presentation uh, from November of 2021, I do have a question for you, Larry. Out of all of the countries you've traveled to and, and you've advocated and, and researched and studied, which country stands out to you as, as the country that you think is probably the most progressive in, in learning and researching and diagnosing FASD? Canada. So at least 20 years ago, I was doing some work in the far north of Canada in a community called Thompson. A social worker had asked me to come up there. And at that time, we were doing a study of, of what we called Montana gin. And people who have severe alcoholism uh, were drinking Lysol spray disinfectant and Aquanet uh, hairspray because uh, they are mostly uh, alcohol. And uh, they were having that problem up there. When I went to uh, this small northern community in Canada, uh, one of the places I stopped by was a hospital. There was a pediatrician there. And to, to this day, he had the most progressive service for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in infants I have ever seen. Every chart in their intensive care nursery had a withdrawal scale uh, on it uh, that he had modified specifically for alcohol. And uh, he was uh, strongly in endorsing the idea that many of these children undergo alcohol withdrawal, which is misdiagnosed as uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome from opioids and other drugs. And I just marveled at what one person in a community uh, could accomplish. And he pointed out uh, that there were substantial numbers of people up there with FASD uh, across the age span and lamented the fact that trying to get a, anyone to uh, diagnose uh, an adult or an elderly person with FASD 
uh, was just uh, extremely difficult. And I've found that to this day, the number of adults who can be diagnosed uh, probably is in the dozens, hundreds per year. Uh, and there are tens of thousands of affected people. Wow. Thinking about the FASD Respect Act and the progress that it's making now in uh, the Senate and in the House of Representatives, thinking of that one doctor and how if, if what he's doing could be duplicated in every state, you know, and, and across Canada, what an amazing um, opportunity to to be able to diagnose more infants uh, with with FASD. And yes, I've had individuals that live with FASD on our show who were diagnosed later in life. And quite a few of them has, have said that they've always suspected it, but it was never, um, it was never confirmed until, you know, they, they actively pursued it. And it was, it, it was an aha. It was a, now all the pieces fit together kind of moment for, for those individuals. So I, I'm so glad you're sharing that story, Larry. I really, really was just blown away by your presentation, Three Generations of FASD Exposure, uh, which you presented at the Arkansas Nine for Nine online co conference back in November of 2021. Can you share with our listeners just a little bit from that amazing presentation? Surely. Well, one of the things that's become clear here is that when a pregnant woman drinks, she exposes three generations at the same time. She exposes herself, her unborn baby, and the future children that unborn baby will have, especially if the unborn baby is a female, because all the eggs uh, that she's ever going to have are laid down uh, in life. And so as the mom drinks, and becomes uh, intoxicated and exposed. The fetus gets the same level of alcohol and the uh, eggs present in that fetus uh, also uh, get the same level of alcohol exposure. Only recently have we begun to understand uh, the implications of this through a new field in genetics called epigenetics where uh, exposure to alcohol and other substances modify your DNA and change people's risk for various conditions across their lifespan. And I think that is present in fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it points out the importance of physicians improving their screening for alcohol use in women, uh, improving their screening strategies for pregnant women, uh, the importance of identifying FASD in neonatal intensive care units, and the importance of pediatricians and other well child providers in providing at least one screening uh, for children for FASD on a routine basis. That would be amazing if, if physicians, pediatricians, OBGYNs were trained to be able to screen just at least once in a child, in an individual's life, 
so that it can be determined whether they were exposed or not, because we know the prevalence is so high and so much higher than society thinks. You know, we in the FASD community know conservative estimates are one in 20. Of course, you know, the, the landmark study done by Dr. Philip May at UNC Chapel Hill, but we know that those statistics, uh, that's, that's a conservative amount. So if every child could be, or even every adult and anyone could be screened properly for an FASD, wow, wow. Something that really resonated with me from your presentation was the statistic of how prenatal alcohol exposure and smoking exposure significantly multiplies the risk factors of an unborn child. Can you share more about that statistic and, and that point from your pr presentation with our listeners? Surely. One of the uh, observations that uh, you come to when you see uh, families with FASD is that many of the mothers uh, not only drink heavily, uh, but they also smoke. And as we have looked at this in large populations, uh, we identified the fact that uh, these are not additive factors where you add the risk from smoking and the risk from prenatal alcohol exposure, but they are multiplicative risk factors. So when a mom uh, smokes and drinks, you get this huge increase in risk uh, for adverse outcomes and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. This is extremely important because if you come across women who cannot quit drinking during pregnancy, then you want to turn your attention to smoking uh, because if you can get them to stop smoking, you bring about a huge risk reduction uh, for the unborn fetus. And in order to do that, we have adopted this program uh, called Don't Quit the Quit, where we uh, use data, uh, for example, uh, on finding out they're pregnant, about 92% of women uh, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop using uh, drugs, uh, improve their life. Then after the birth of their baby, uh, they will start again. So once they have quit, the hard work is done. And we're trying to roll out this program uh, called Don't Quit the Quit. So we want them to keep uh, the lifestyle changes they have made and not start smoking again, not start drinking again. And the future pregnancies are then unexposed and presumably would be healthy babies, but for sure they would have no risk for a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And that is such a proactive, not only is that program addressing the initial critical situation of prenatal alcohol exposure and prenatal smoking exposure, but it's also addressing proactively down the road and, and, and future exposure. So that's wonderful. So Larry, before we talk about your work in 2022, I'd love to ask you this question. Um, given your vast experience, your travels, just everything you've done in the field of FASD, what are a few important topics or important uh, concepts that you'd really like our listeners to learn from your experience? 
That's a great question. So one is that if this problem is not addressed, subsequent pregnancies are going to be exposed and the risk for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders increases uh, in SIB ships. So the younger children in these families have higher risk to have an FASD and they have higher risk to have a more severe FASD. So identification of the mother's drinking, identification of FASD in one of the siblings, extremely uh, important here. A second concept, one that I talk about constantly and people uh, are reluctant to endorse because everyone likes to use, uh, have good news for families, is the importance of viewing FASD as a disorder which increases in complexity and severity across the lifespan. That's so important because about 50% of the disability that we see in children, especially children with mental health problems, primarily neurobehavioral disorders, is preventable. If we had an early diagnosis, we took a future-oriented view and we engaged in risk reduction going forward. We would decrease the number of children who are struggling at school. We decrease the number of children who subsequently develop substance use disorders. We decrease the number of kids going into foster care. We decrease the number of children who need multiple medications for mental health problems uh, going forward. The third and uh, this has affected so many people, is the enormous cost to families. So we did a study of this and found that shocking numbers of families uh, have had to forego a promotion. Uh, they've had to move to a smaller house. One of the parents can't work. Uh, they've made very large lifestyle changes. Uh, because of the need for more intensive services uh, for their children they cannot get in the schools and communities. So this comes at a very large cost to families. And these unreimbursed costs are just uh, uh, staggering uh, for, for families. And so it's not uncommon for a family to spend 15, 18, $20,000 a year uh, taking care of people with FASD. We had quite a number of families where the mom quit working, uh, one or both of the parents refused promotions. Uh, they declined new jobs because they would have to move. Uh, and so the uh, economic costs to families and to societies is far greater uh, than I think most people understand for FASD. And Larry, I am so glad you're sharing all of these points. When you said number three, that just it hit my heart. And I know that it will hit the hearts of so many of our listeners who are families, because yes, I, I stopped working. I get, my husband has passed up opportunities. We've made life changes. We moved from the suburbs to a very rural farm road, you know, and we share this. We know this is part of our journey, but yeah. And what you also said, unreimbursable costs. I think so many of 
us families, we, <laughs> we think out of the box because we have to. We think of new innovative ideas in parenting and in, you know, for us, homeschooling, for others, uh, work. And, and we're, we're forced to do it because, number one, we've spent so much money on so many other things that unfortunately have not worked or maybe they've worked for a short amount of time. But also desperation breeds inspiration, you know, and, and unfortunately in the FASD community, many parents just that's number three, just really, I know resonates. Um, it resonates with me and, and I know it'll, that will resonate with many of our listeners. So again, this is why the passing of the FASD respect act and, and, you know, the establishing of state FASD excellence centers and the important work that you're doing and that you've been doing. That's why this is so important. And that's why, you know, we need to share this and, and continue to give people an opportunity to, to share what they're doing in the FASD community. Because again, you know, we, we've been in the dark far too long. So, um, so thank you for sharing for sharing that. You bet. So Larry, let's talk about now what you have planned for 2022. Uh, you know, especially since COVID almost two years ago, advocacy in, F in the FASD community really has become more accessible, uh, you know, for folks like me, for parents, but especially for professionals and, and anybody outside of the FASD community. So let's talk about some of the things that you have coming up for 2022. So we have several uh, initiatives. One is we're uh, implementing uh, a training program. We're going to start uh, small, but we have stipends available for uh, physicians, uh, pediatricians, psychologists, I mean, pediatricians, psychiatrists, neurologists, uh, other physicians who'd like to learn how to diagnose FASD. So uh, it's a pretty low burden program. You just identify a couple of places you want to go uh, and learn about this. Uh, go visit Ken Jones, Douglas Waite in uh, New York, uh, other places. Uh, we provide money uh, for travel, uh, room and board. And uh, of course, we're going to emphasize uh, physicians from North Dakota, but uh, I'm quite confident that we're going to have capacity there to train other uh, people. We're going to continue our training. We have a lot of training uh, right now, uh, emphasizing uh, juvenile corrections, the adult correction systems, trying to keep people out of those systems of care, improve the quality of care there. And for example, uh, there's a study from Canada that showed that over 40% of children with FASD in the juvenile correction system have uh, either made a false confession or been charged with a crime based on these false confessions. So clearly the corrections systems have to learn a better strategy uh, for managing uh, people with FASD. We have a large initiative going on now, uh, trying to help people understand the more severe end of FASD. Uh, which is mortality. 
So we did a study uh, looking at mothers of children with FASD and compared to moms giving birth at the same time, their risk for death is increased 44 fold. So when we think of these mothers and we get angry with them for drinking, uh, we get upset with them, ask how could they do this? We need to understand that they have a life-threatening disorder. Uh, they are in urgent uh, need of help. Now this mortality risk, uh, something most people don't think about in FASD, uh, also affects children who are diagnosed with FASD and their siblings, whether or not they're diagnosed. Uh, they have about a five-fold increased risk for mortality. So we're quite interested in trying to help people understand this, uh, understand the implications of this, because uh, this effect is dramatic uh, when you look at causes of death uh, for women of childbearing age. Uh, we have a training coming up in Lubbock, Texas in April. Uh, there's a training being scheduled for Maryland in March. Uh, we're going to have a training, uh, one or two day training here in North Dakota on FASD for providers. Uh, and hopefully that will give people some access uh, to uh, the state of the art when it comes to diagnosis prevention. And most importantly, of course, uh, improving the interventions uh, across the lifespan for people with FASD. And that gives me hope hearing what you just said, improving interventions across the lifespan, because so often we know that there's so much focus on early intervention and early, uh, you know, young, young children, children of elementary age, which is very important, extremely important. But as a parent of a young adult, you know, we know that as our kids age and become adults, there is minimal to, to no uh, intervention. So yes, it, improving interventions across the lifespan, that really gives me hope in, in hearing you say that. So Dr. Bird, Larry, how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? So my email address is larry.bird, B-U-R-D, at U-N-D, short for University of North Dakota, dot E-D-U. Uh, and I'm quite open to uh, hearing from people, uh, trying to help put you in contact with services, or perhaps in some cases, uh, answering any questions that you might have. Terrific. And we will also post Dr. Bird's uh, email address with that information. Larry, it's been such an honor to speak with you today. And on behalf of all of those parents that are listening to you speak, I just want to say thank you for all of the work that you've done. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your passion in helping those in the FASD community. And I think most importantly, just thank you for not giving up on us, you know, especially on our kids and loved ones that have an FASD. Um, I, I'm just so appreciative of everything that you've done. You're welcome. Well, it's important to keep in mind that uh, for those of us working in this field, FASD is important. We understand the cause. We know it's preventable. We need to get about the business of preventing it 
and improving services for people who have it. I like to end our episodes with words of hope for our listeners, because we know that our journeys can be very dark. Um, Just from your experience and from uh, everything that you have encountered in working in the FASD field, do you have any words of hope that our listeners can take with them today as we close out our discussion? Yeah. Uh, This podcast is an example of what we need. We need people networking with each other so that families with FASD are not out there struggling by themselves. There's a vast pool of knowledge, a vast pool of experience. We need better uh, networks uh, to support uh, families, uh, service providers uh, in FASD. And your work is one uh, very, very uh, gratifying example of how this can take place. So thank you for doing this. Oh, Dr. Bird, Larry, thank you so much. I, that makes my heart smile when you say that, because I'm just so thankful um, that we're able to do this, that we're able to just be the podcast that we wanted to have, you know, five years ago when we were walking around in the dark without flashlights. So Dr. Larry Bird, Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. And I hope that you'll come back at the end of this year so you can update us on the fabulous work that you've been doing. Be my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.